Amen, Father. To this we hold. Our only hope is Jesus. And so as we surrender all, we want to surrender all from the bottoms of our heart. We surrender all to Jesus. And when we hear the question of what is our only hope in life and in death, our answer is that we belong to Jesus in soul and in body, to our faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Father, as we come in these moments to talk about these bodies, help us to see your gift and help us to temper that gift as you would have us to and help us to see how it can serve our joy in Jesus to your glory in the good of others to your honor even as students in Jesus name we pray amen may be seated Man has held to three views of the body. So wrote C.S. Lewis in the Eros chapter of his 1960 book, The Four Loves. He says, first, there is that of those ascetic pagans who called it the prison or the tomb of the soul. And others to whom it was a sack of dung food for worms, filthy, shameful, a source of nothing but temptation to bad men and humiliation to good ones. So the, the first view is pretty negative. Then there are the neo-pagans, the nudists, and the sufferers from dark gods to whom the body is glorious. We might say naive positivity. But thirdly, we have the view which St. Francis expressed by calling his body brother ass. And then C.S. Lewis says, all three may be defensible, but give me St. Francis for my money. And he continues, ass is exquisitely right because no one in his senses can either revere or hate a donkey. It is a useful, sturdy, lazy, obstinate, patient, lovable, and infuriating beast, deserving now a stick and now a carrot, both pathetically and absurdly beautiful. So, the body, and so C.S. Lewis. And as we move now to address the topic of body stewardship, which might seem like a surprising turn in our spring chapel series of the virtues, we see what Lewis saw 60 years ago and what Lewis identified as being true of humanity throughout its history. And as he summarized it, these three main enduring views of the body we see in our own day, do we not? We have our ascetic pagans, we might call them digital pagans, who feel their body is a prison. The body holds them back. Screens and virtual reality create new possibilities, as well as some new surgeries. Life 
for many in our day, and many of us, has become shockingly sedentary. On the other hand, those same screens are often filled with image after image of meticulously sculpted and enhanced bodies. These are Lewis's neo-pagans, half-nudists at least, for whom the body is glorious and must be glorious no matter how much dieting, how much exercise, how much surgery it takes. And then third, we have what might feel like the road least traveled in our day. That's St. Francis's road, C.S. Lewis's road, and I think it's the Christian hedonist's road. Christian hedonist. Today's non-Christian hedonists may divide themselves up pretty well between the sedentary digital paganism and the semi-exhibitionist neo-paganism while we Christian hedonists at BCS and at Desiring God and at Bethlehem Baptist and at City's Church are gladly left with brother ass. Now, I know that the word ass is arresting and potentially distracting. It's hard to ignore. It accents our natural sinful laziness and obstinance. The infuriating beast deserving the stick, as Lewis says. But I don't want you to miss the affection and the warmth in the word brother. I don't think Lewis means brother lightly. Jesus didn't mean brother lightly when he said brother. I don't mean brother lightly. I don't want you to take brother lightly. Brother accents the usefulness of these bodies, the sturdiness, the patience, the lovability, which are, Lewis says, absurdly beautiful. And he steers a very careful course between reverence on the one hand and beauty on the other. They are not to be revered, not to be worshipped, not to be idols, he says. And they are to be acknowledged and appreciated as beautiful, absurdly beautiful. Or as the psalm says, fearfully and wonderfully made. So let me just say, I am a pastor and sometimes an adjunct professor. I am not a personal trainer. I am not a dietitian. In fact, I don't have anything to say here about diet except just to recommend general moderation and a warning about drinking sugar. But as a Christian hedonist, I do have an interest in how the body serves not just natural joy, but supernatural joy, Christian joy. And because this is a college and seminary chapel, it might be good to say something about the mind and about learning as well. And so I hope that as Christian hedonists, that the flavor of these next few moments will feel more like the carrot and less like the stick. That's my prayer. So let me take you to one of the most important texts in the Bible, on the body, not the only one, but one of them, and make some brief observations. And then I'd like for us to consider how working and pushing these bodies as God designed them to be pushed serves Christian learning, Christian joy, 
and Christian love. That's our plan for the next few moments. So 1 Corinthians 6, and I'll start in the middle of verse 13, do verse 14, then we'll jump down to verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Verse 19. Do you not know that your body, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Four brief observations. The first one is that your body, not just bodies in general, your body is for the Lord Jesus. Verse 13 comes again in verse 20. Your body is for the Lord Jesus. For the Lord means at least for drawing attention to him, for making Jesus look good. Your body is for the Lord. So glorify God with your body. We were made, Genesis 1 says, in the image of God. And images are irreducibly visible. We were made to to image the invisible God in his visible world with these bodies being an important part of that. To draw attention to God and not for that attention to terminate on us and our bodies. And so Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine. How's it gonna shine? In part through your body, your hands, your life, your movement. Let your light so shine that others will see, visible, see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Speak in such a way and live in such a way in your body that others see what you do in your body and your words gives it meaning and so they give glory to your Father ultimately, not to you and your body. Number two, Jesus is for your body. So not only is your body for him, Jesus is for your body. Verse 13, Jesus designed it and he gave it and he took it. He took a human body and in his resurrection body, he still is fully human, glorified at the Father's right hand. He is for your body's good, which means he's for us stewarding our bodies well, appropriately. He is not against some modest efforts at upkeep. He's for that. And he wants to put wind in our sails for that, I believe. Number three, God will raise your body. Verse 14, God will raise your body. He raised Jesus's body. Jesus is the first fruits. We in Christ will be the harvest. If you are in Christ, God will raise your body and glorify your body. It will be changed and will be far better when he raises it, but it will be your body. It'll be continuity with this body. And modest upkeep now, especially in the service of learning and joy and love is not a waste. Fourth then, 
God dwells now in your body. Verse 19. If you are in Christ, you have, you have the Holy Spirit. He is within you, Paul says. Your body is a temple, a dwelling place for God Almighty by His Spirit. Your body is yours, but it is not your own. No matter how much you hear that it is your own, is not what Paul says for the risen Christ. You didn't make it. God did. You didn't buy it back. Jesus did. And you alone do not possess it, but the Holy Spirit is within you. You have him in your body as a dwelling place for God. So consider then how working and pushing these bodies as God designs them serves Christian learning, Christian joy, and Christian love. Let's look first at learning as a college and seminary community. As I have aged, this 41-year-old body, I have sensed more and more how tangibly much, how I, I tangibly feel better when I have done some exercise. I didn't say during exercise always. When I have done some exercise, earlier that day, day before, when there's a pattern in life, in particular, I feel like I can think clearer. And I feel like I can think with less effort and with more what we call creativity. Well, that's the right word for it or not. I feel like I have more energy, not only to move, but to think and to think hard and to work my mind for the calling I have. But is this just in my head? Is this just placebo effect? Now, I'm not against placebo effect <laughs> if it's in the, right, in the right way. But is it more than just in my head? Is it real? I mean, I have had, I've heard people talk about this. I've had friends talk about my mind. The cobwebs are cleared. My mind feels so much better. I think clearer when I have a modest pattern of exercise. Is it real? So a few years ago, I came across a book by a Harvard psychiatrist, Harvard Medical School. His name is John Rady. He had spent most of his career on ADHD, and he and a co-author had written some of the main texts in the last generation on ADHD. He was a former amateur athlete, and he took notice over the years what amazing medicine exercise seemed to be for his ADHD patients. And so eventually, late in his career, he put his findings together in a 2008 book called Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain. And now, just a note, if any of this sounds too good to be true, just remember what his main prescription is. It's not a pill to take. His main prescription is exercise. <laughs> Very few people want to go with his prescription. So here's how he opens the book. We all know that exercise makes us feel better. Maybe we don't all know that. Many know that. But most of us have no idea why. We assume it's because we're burning off stress or reducing muscle tension or boosting endorphins, and we leave it at that. It may be fine. But the real reason we feel so good when we get our blood pumping is that it makes the brain function at its best. 
And in my view, this benefit of physical activity is more important and fascinating than what it does for the body. Building muscles and conditioning the heart and lungs are essentially side effects, he says. The weight number on the scale, side effect. I often tell my patients that the point of exercise is to build and condition the brain. End quote. He continues shortly after there. To keep our brains at peak performance, our bodies need to work hard. The brain responds like muscles do, growing with use, withering with inactivity, and movement in particular activates these brains. And Rady explains that it is exercise that improves learning in some significant ways, which matters to us as Christians. We call ourselves disciples. Disciple means learner. Christianity is a teaching movement, a learning movement. To learn better concerns us, not just as college and seminary students, as Christians. Christians are lifelong learners as disciples. So here is how exercise improves learning on three levels. First, it optimizes your mindset to improve alertness, attention, and motivation. And many of us are freshly aware how much attention is needed with all the distractions that face us these days. Alertness, attention, motivation. Having exercise, not in the midst of exercise. Having exercise, we're in a better position to be alert, attentive, and motivated to learn. Second, it prepares and encourages nerve cells to bind to one another, which is the cellular basis for logging new information. When you learn new stuff, there's a cellular basis for this in the brain. And exercise helps promote that. Third, it spurs the development of new nerve cells. In other words, it's called neurogenesis. Your brain does create new cells. And exercise helps create those cells and get them in the right place that then facilitates learning. So it's captured in the brain. It's a fairly, this is fairly recently established in neurology. I think, the, I think the seminal establishment of this was 1998 on neurogenesis. It's an amazing thing. It, it used to be uh, kind of understood that you have the number of brain cells you have and they'll never increase. That is not true. Your brain does generate new brain cells and the vigorous movement of the body helps with that. So active bodies improve learning. And I'll say more in a, min more in a minute about um, how that happens. But here's the first reason for Christian learning. Second then, why we might want to take exercise with some modest seriousness is for Christian joy. And that is natural joy that leads to and helps supernatural joy in Jesus Christ. You may be familiar with the name Hippocrates, father of medicine four centuries before Jesus. He said, eating alone will not keep a man well. He must also take exercise. Take exercise as your, as your prescription. Hippocrates also learned to treat depression with a long walk. And this is, this is how it concerns joy, the treating of depression. And if that didn't seem to help, one long walk didn't help his patients, he advised them to take another long walk. <laughs> Walking is the best medicine, he said. That is, in the pursuit of joy, a happy soul, at least naturally speaking. 
And one of the key truths for which we stand at Bethlehem College and Seminary and at Desiring God and is perhaps most distinctive to us is that we believe that enjoying God is essential to glorifying God as we ought. To be bored or uninterested with God is to dishonor him. Whatever motions our bodies go through. And so, vital for our fulfilling our very purpose and calling in life is our enjoying of and delighting in and being satisfied in our souls with who God is for us in Jesus Christ. In terms of the carrot, Christian hedonists, we like carrots. The angle that has proved most helpful for me over the years in motivating and sustaining body stewardship through regular exercise is reckoning with how it supports the pursuit of joy in God. This has been most significant for me. The little bit of exercise that I do is in its highest and best form about enjoying God, which glorifies Him. I'm not mainly motivated by living longer. To depart and be with Christ is far better, right? And I am not motivated by looking fit and healthy. For me, these motivations are inadequate. Number on the scale alone, inadequate. For me, the driving motivation is under the banner of enjoying God more. And the energy that I get from expending energy, which we'll talk more about in just a minute. And that energy is first emotional energy. When I exercise regularly, I feel better. And not only do I feel like I think clearer, but I seem to sleep better and I'm generally happier. And regular exercise puts my body and soul in their complicated and mysterious relationship into a better position to see Jesus clearly and deeply savor who he is and what he's done for us. And so I want to put natural joy and natural alertness and attention and energy and resilience to use to serve spiritual, Christian, supernatural joy. To make it very practical, I can pay attention better to the Bible and in prayer when I've done a little bit of bodily movement and effort. I said I'd say more about how this works, how bodily movement and exertion serve our natural joy. So back to the Harvard psychiatrist for a minute. He says this, going for a run is like taking a little bit of Prozac and a little bit of Ritalin. Right, so this is for you know, against depression and for attention. Because like the drugs, exercise elevates the neurotransmitters in our brain. It is a handy metaphor to get the point across, but the deeper explanation is that exercise balances neurotransmitters along with the rest of the neurochemicals in the brain. So exercise does very naturally what many medications are seeking to do. Or better, the medications are trying to imitate what movement does to the body. But let's go one step deeper and then leave the Harvard psychiatrist behind. One more step here. Knowing the mechanism helps me. The specificity helps me. If this goes over your head, totally fine. 
but maybe it'll help some. It starts <laughs> with something called BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotrophic factor, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which facilitates brain growth, okay? BDNF gathers in reserve pools near the synapses in the brain and is, he says, unleashed when our blood begins pumping. In the process, a number of hormones from the body, these brains don't have storage up here. The body serves as storage for the brain's maximal use. A number of hormones from the body are called into action to help. During exercise, these factors from the body push through the blood-brain barrier, a web of capillaries with tightly packed cells that screen out bulky intruders like bacteria. Once inside the brain, these factors work with BDNF to crank up the molecular machinery of learning. They are also produced within the brain and promote stem cell division, especially during exercise. The body was designed. I, I love that he can't help but say design. I mean, as a Harvard psychiatrist, he's got about evolution. He talks about evolution. I'm sure he's an evolutionist, but he can't help in studying the human brain to say designed and built and made. It's enjoyable to watch. The body was designed to be pushed. And in pushing our bodies, we push our brains too. This should not be a surprise for Christians. Because for 2,000 years, we have known that bodily training is of some value, right? First Timothy chapter 4. And one of the reasons that we take bodily training with some seriousness rather than ignoring it is precisely because how it serves our joy and strength and stability in our soul, how it serves godliness. So there's the Harvard psychiatrist. Let's leave him behind now. What about Christian voices? This is important. I want Christian voices to help. Well, until recently, I haven't been aware of many, at least in our circles. But I did edit a chapter one time for a pastor named John Piper in his book called Brothers Were Not Professionals. And the chapter was titled, Brothers, Bodily Training is of Some Value. And John talks there about, quote, the correlation between the condition of the body and the condition of the soul. He says that consistent exercise has refining effects on our mental and emotional stability. And one of the motivations that he points to and that now other Christian voices are chiming in, at least in our circles, to point to, is energy. That's energy in the service of doing others good. So not just Christian learning, and not just Christian joy, as critical and important as that is, but finally, Christian love. How does the appropriate stewarding of our bodies serve Christian love? So not only does exercise help us think clearer and feel happier and be more ready to pursue spiritual joy, but it also has a strong, but also helps us to feel stronger and be more ready to exert bodily effort, whether that's mental or physical, for the sake of others. I have found over the years that pummeling 
my body, disciplining my body, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, strengthens my will and chases away laziness in all of life. Regular exercise makes me more active rather than passive or lazy in every sphere, in every relationship, not the least of which is with God and his word and prayer, but for others also. So here are the other voices. These are the more recent voices. In 2019, we published a short article at Desiring God called Remember the Body by Pastor Mark Jones in Vancouver. And he, like Piper, he was speaking to fellow pastors, but clearly the implications are broader than just for pastors. This is what Mark Jones says. Physical exertion is an important part of normal human life. I'm persuaded that a lot of pastors should jump on a bike, go for a run, walk, or build some modest muscle, and they'd likely get more work done. Here's the energy factor. A lack of discipline in areas such as food, exercise, and drink typically reflects a lack of discipline in other areas of the Christian life. Exercise is a friend. I, I wonder, brother? Brother? Exercise is a friend of the Christian, he says. And one that, unless prohibited by health reasons, should be part of the ordinary Christian life. This is not to minimize disability, to talk about bodily movement. It's to dignify the pain and difficulty of disability. About the same time, I came across the 2017 book from Crossway called Reset by David Murray. He's a pastor and professor. And he says, quote, Exercise in proper rest patterns. So there's that whole avenue of rest I haven't talked about. Exercise and proper rest patterns generate about a 20% energy increase in the average day. While exercising three to five times a week is about as effective as antidepressants for mild to moderate depression. I like both of those effects. I'd like 20% more energy and I'd like to fight mild to moderate depression. Finally, uh, in the late 2020 Crossway book by Paul Tripp, he writes there about his newfound appreciation for stewarding the body. And, and Paul says there, he is Johnny come lately to this. This is a late life discovery for Paul. And he realized, he says, beginning with himself, that widespread church and ministry leadership has gluttony robbing us both of gospel consistency and, he says, physical energy. He continues, regular exercise boosts and builds energy. Perhaps many of us are tired all the time, not because of the rigorous demands of ministry, but because of the lack of rigorous physical exercise in our normal routine. He says, these are not ancillary issues. But before we go down some neo-pagan, half-nudist path, let's bring it back to Brother Ass. Beloved, obstinate, useful, not revered, nor hated, pathetically and absurdly beautiful, Brother Ass. Mark Jones used the word modest in the quote we just read from him. I appreciate that. I think it's helpful for us. He says, build some modest muscle, which I think would serve most of us really well in our age of extremes related to our bodies. 
On the one hand, we feel the pull of the world's sedentary patterns, riding in cars, mesmerized by screens. We have indulged ancient instincts designed for days when food was scarce. And now we try to intuit to move as little as possible when we don't need to move as little as possible anymore. But thank God, we are not living in times of famine, just in days of deadly excess. On the other hand, we find the fitness junkies pushing back against the sedentary assumptions. But for what reason? The mirror? Instagram? Even if it is couched so well as well-being, that, that's a good way to do it, well-being as enjoying more of life today, not just someday far off, that's doubtless more honorable than the brazen pursuit of self-glory. But as Christians, we have more to say, critically more to say about stewarding these remarkable creations from our Lord we call our bodies. I do think that the word fitness can serve Christian purposes. We just need to ask, fit for what? I hope that's the kind of questions we're learning to ask at Bethlehem College and Seminary. Fitness? Fit for what? Fit to draw attention on Instagram? Fit to draw eyes on a stage, half clad? Fit to do others good? Fit to live up to the modest and important calling that we have as Christians to love others and use our bodies to serve and bless and help others? Twice, Paul uses a phrase that I think is, it could be a really good rallying cry for why to steward our bodies with some modest upkeep. In 2 Timothy 2.21 and in Titus 3.1, uses the same phrase, ready for every good work. He wants Christians to be ready for every good work. I want to be someone who's ready for every good work. I know you want to be ready for every good work. So we not only want to learn well, which is critical for disciples, and we not only want to have spiritual joy, which is critical in glorifying Jesus as we ought, we also want to fulfill our calling to use these bodies to do others good, and in such a way that others see our good works in these bodies. And do not give glory to us, but to our Father in heaven and to Jesus because of what we do in these bodies. And for most of us, we will be well served by modest upkeep. Subtle changes in our default mindset about minimizing movement are learning to enjoy it. And walking counts. This is good news. Walking counts. It gets the blood pumping. Small steps over the long haul make a big difference with regard to our bodies. Walking for 30 minutes, five times a week, fulfills the recommendation of most experts. That may just sound undoable to you. Five times a week, 30 minutes, maybe. On the other hand, that's a very modest thing, and it fulfills the highest recommendations of most experts. And if over time your body is in enough shape to enjoy walking for 30 minutes, you might find some other forms of exercise as an acquired pleasure, some modest weights or some jogging. I do think we tend to overestimate what we can do in the short run related to our bodies and underestimate what can be done in the long run 
related to these amazing, designed, remarkable gifts from Jesus in our bodies. So brothers and sisters, your body as a priceless gift from God is both pathetically and absurdly beautiful. It is a useful, sturdy, often lazy, obstinate, patient, lovable, and infuriating beast. Deserving now the stick and now the carrot. And as Christian hedonists, let's pursue the carrots for Christian learning, for Christian joy, and for Christian love. Let's pray together. So Father in heaven, thank you for these bodies as infuriating as they can be at times in their laziness, in their obstinance, in their injuries, in their disabilities. Father, you are the all-wise creator. You knew precisely what you were doing in making these bodies. And even though they are racked by sin and the curse, we want to marshal them, leverage them for joy in you, for thinking rightly, for serving others well. And so Father, would you make it to be the case that we would glorify you in these bodies? We happily say we are not our own. We have been made by you and bought with a price and wonder upon wonders become the dwelling place of your spirit. So give us grace, Father, to glorify you in and through these bodies and in this season of study at Bethlehem College and Seminary. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.